0: So the biggest thing with entrepreneurs like athletes is it's all or nothing. They're either doing everything perfectly or they're not doing anything at all. And that's the problem.
1: What's up, you guys? My name is Mikko Kraschowski, and welcome to episode 76 of That Remote Life podcast, where we hear from location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals, so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Dr. Emil Hodzovich, or otherwise known on the internet as Emil Goliath. Emil has an amazing background. He grew up playing rugby and then turned his athletic focus on bodybuilding, all while studying and then later working as a doctor in the UK. After several years of working in the UK healthcare system, he became disillusioned with what he was doing and started instead focusing on more of a total health model and began training high-level professionals and location-independent entrepreneurs online. Now, if you're a digital nomad and have struggled with staying fit while traveling, uh, I think you're going to love this episode. Emil and I discussed why most people make staying fit more difficult than it has to be. And Emil also shared his strategy for balancing a healthy lifestyle while enjoying all the culinary experiences that new places have to offer. We also talked about health for entrepreneurs and how to make sure that you're performing at your best, which we all know is so important as digital nomads and entrepreneurs. it's, It's super important to Make sure that you're staying uh, at your peak possible uh, level so that you can perform well and, you know, work in your business as well as you can. Now, before we jump into this interview, I do want to tell you about my newest project called Nomad Weekly. Now, there's so much going on in the digital nomad world and location-independent entrepreneurship space that it can be tough to stay up to date. And Nomad Weekly is the first ever The Hustle-style weekly newsletter for the digital nomad space. Every Monday morning, you will receive a fun-to-read email that brings you the most important things you need to know to get your week started, like global news curated specifically for global citizens like yourselves, information about up-and-coming events and conferences, travel information and updates, reviews of products and services, Crypto and financial overviews, and even original articles written by our own writers. If you're a digital nomad or location independent entrepreneur, this is the email you need every week to stay in the know. And you can sign up for that over at thatremotelife.com forward slash weekly. That's thatremotelife.com forward slash weekly. And it's totally free. So you can head over there, join that, and it'll be launching the first week of August. All right, you guys, well, without further ado, let's dive into this awesome conversation with Emil Goliath. All right, well, Emil, welcome to the show, man. How are you doing?
0: Hey, hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, really, really good here. Looking forward to this.
1: Dude, I'm so excited to have you on. Uh, you know, we connected over the uh, Dynamite Circle. I, uh, I was about to say the DC, but then I had Dan on the show and he kept correcting me. He's like, do not say the DC. Nobody knows what you're talking about. You got to say the Dynamite Circle. Uh, so yeah, we connected over there. Uh, And I'm really excited to have you on because you are a fitness instructor and you kind of do everything online, which is really cool because uh, I think we've talked about this offline is that my dad, I've been like, like pushing him to go remote with his like fitness business for the last like four years. And then he finally did. So I'm really excited to have you on and to just kind of like, you know, get a little bit of your backstory and, uh, you know, get some health tips for us travelers because that's really, really tough. So. Um, but yeah, man, to get started, I know that, and for people listening, like, you know, you have an accent. So you grew up in the UK, right? And like, that's like where yeah. you went to
0: school. Yeah. Yeah. So actually born in Serbia. So former okay. Yugoslavia, hence, hence the name. And then we moved to the UK when I was two and my dad worked there as a doctor. Uh, that's, you know, that's why he was like studying in the UK. And then we stayed there, uh, eventually South Wales. That's where I spent most of my time if I have a few drinks, then the South, the Welsh accent comes out, but most of the time it's relatively, uh, normal. And, and yeah. And then in the last, I don't know, three, three years, something like that, I started traveling and moving around more. And now I've ended up in Lisbon, Portugal, which is a very big turnaround in my life in general. Yeah.
1: That's really funny that you say that about the accent. Cause, okay. So you're Serbian. I was born in Bulgaria and, uh, you know people are always surprised when i don't have an accent i'm like give me a few beers and i've been told that the bulgarian accent comes out a bit more so maybe that's yeah, that's some to... so what um like what was it like growing up you know being from serbia and growing up in england uh, i mean you said you were pretty young you said you were 2 but
0: two. like
1: did you ha- did that have any impact uh
0: like when you were growing up that's an interesting question actually i've never really thought about that but yeah i was i was 2 and actually i according to my parents spoke pretty fluent Serbian at that age but then you know went into the schooling system and actually we started in the north of England so I picked up a northern English accent and this is probably moot to most people who don't know all the English accents but very strong and then we moved to a place in South Wales and they were taking making fun of my northern English accent so I then picked up the local accent there I must have been five and then I moved to a different place in South Wales and they were taking the mick out of my other Welsh accent and it was just constant but never for an Eastern European or Serbian accent as it, as it was. Um, But yeah, I I loved Wales a lot. Um, Very close community, lots of beaches. Um, I was literally there from, I think about seven to 24, something Mm. like that. So really most of my, most of my life in two cities in in South Wales, Um, university, everything worked there as a doctor for a couple of years and then only really moved um to where I kind of lived before in the south of England in Bristol, which is like an hour away from Wales. Um yeah, in the sort of three years before I then became a nomad and and then the rest is history. Yeah. So that's
1: that's really interesting because you know when people ask me what drove me to kind of become, you know, go the digital nomad route. And one of the things that I always felt was like that I didn't have a home in a way. Like mm. when I was in the US, I was always the Bulgarian kid right and then when i was in bulgaria i was the american kid do you, and like i think that like you know like having conversations with people i was like oh that's you know the fact that like i had that experience and then decided to start doing what you and i do like that's kind of an interesting correlation do you think that maybe you growing up and moving around in that way do you feel like that maybe that somehow impacted like you becoming a digital nomad and essentially you know Kind of being homeless in a way now
0: uh, very interesting, so I think because i am quite a big guy and I used to play rugby, so that kind of smoothed over any of the you know Eastern European divide I played rugby i was I was in it was fine right um, so I, I never really got the kind of you know the Serbian kid I mean I got plenty of you know jokes and whatever, but nothing significant and then I think the biggest thing I carried from Serbia was the fact that my parents immigrated, Immigrated, immigrated—that's a word, yeah. Immigrated from Serbia to the UK, and then they were like, "You become a doctor or a lawyer, or don't bother." So inevitably, I became a doctor, and that was like the biggest thing. Like university, super important, stability, get a job. And I'm sure you must have had a similar thing in Bulgaria. You know, you have to do these these real things, and everything else is is bullshit. You know, business isn't the real thing. So I just followed that. And that was no brainer for me at 16. My dad was like, you should be a doctor. And I said, yeah, sure. Okay. It seems easy. My life is sorted. So actually at that stage, I was in for the stability. I was in for buy a house, buy a car, mm. buy a dog, you know, family, kids, pension, not, not having to worry about anything. So it was the opposite. And it was only after three or four years of working as a full-time doctor that I started to get disillusioned on many, many fronts. Um, One being, I didn't like being told what to do or when to work and had to work night shifts. Two, modern medicine was just putting band-aids on problems. It wasn't Mm -hmm. really addressing the key, which is lifestyle. And um, three, I, I started to get an insight into the control the government has over people so it was screwing around with doctors pensions at the time and it was just like your pensions are screwed and we were just and i was just like well that's not fair and this that was the first insight i had into that's not fair so i was like okay i'm gonna remove myself from this system because it's it's bullshit basically
1: and why i mean i feel like there are a number of ways to move on from that, right? It's like you become disillusioned with the system. You want something different. You're realizing that like, you know, what maybe the story you've been sold for, you know, your entire adolescence maybe isn't true. Why choose to become a digital nomad as opposed to, you know, like, where did that idea come in as the solution for what you're experiencing?
0: The first move was getting out of the system. So the medical system. So in 2015, I left full-time medicine I still worked as a as a locum doctor I was working in ER I was kind of picking and choosing shifts getting paid quite well but I and I was trying to build a coaching business so I didn't even know what a digital nomad was then but I was moving away from what I wanted what I didn't want to do and I was sure I didn't want to do it and then in 2017 a guy who knew me through random connections literally cold called me and said we're doing an event in Italy uh, it's a brocation there's like called it a brocation there's like i think eight guys from different industries we're just going to chill out for four days we're going to you know learn from each other basically and you'll be the the health expert the fitness expert so i went out to that and initially i said i have to go home early i've got stuff to do i can only do 3 days i need to fly out i'm busy i'm a busy guy you know and while i was there two of the guys were like right we want you to start coaching us and there's this other event in marbella in three weeks time and we want you to come on a road trip with us and drive to Marbella. And through, through making that decision, I realized that if I said yes and did this road trip, I had to cancel shifts. I had to cancel public Mm -hmm. speaking things. I had to change my whole life. I was shitting myself the whole time, but to do this three week trip, I realized if I said no to this, I would be saying no to the life that I wanted but didn't know up until that point. So I said yes. And then the event in Marbella was, it was an Amazon event. There was 30 Amazon guys, living the digital nomads dream, you know, seven figure plus companies. We drove around in supercars. We, we went on yachts, NICU beach. It was like this introduction to abundance, which I'd never seen before. And I was just sitting there shitting myself, hosing cash, no idea what I'd let myself in for, but knew I wanted more of that. So after that, in the end of 2017, I got back after three weeks and thought, right, that's what I want. My first goal, 2018, I was going to travel every single month. So every month I left the country, left the UK, and I, and I just made it happen. I went to Bali, Thailand, um, Ireland, which probably doesn't count. Those uh, and loads of places just every single month. And then in September, I went to DCBKK, Dynamite Circle, Bangkok. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was supposed to be a three-month trip, you know, Thailand for a couple of months and then come back to the UK. And my girlfriend said, why are we only going for three months? Why don't we just stay out there? And then that became an eight month trip. Then we got back to the UK last year. I put my house for rent, sold my car, got rid of everything else. And, you know, we moved to Lisbon and went to Asia again, and that was just gone. That was last eight, eight, nine months.
1: Yeah. I think it's really interesting because I think that the shift that you're describing is, is happening more and more, right? As like people who, you know, went to college, did the thing that they felt like they were supposed to do, and then went went ahead and did the thing they were supposed to do. And they said, like, hold on a second. This, is, this isn't this is really what I thought it was going to be. But I think it's very rare that it happens to a doctor because doctors, like, one of my friends is in med school right now. And, I mean, the amount of debt that he's in, like I, like, to me, I'm just like, you don't have an option. Like, there are not a lot of things that you can do that can, like, pay off the debt that you've accumulated. So like, even if he decides, wow, I really don't want to be a surgeon, you know, it's kind of tough luck. You know, having, you know, now you use your medical expertise in your, you know, business at the moment, but knowing all of this, knowing your experience and kind of what you're doing right now, if you had to go back, do you think that you would still go through all of that to become a doctor? Or would you say, now I'm going to skip that?
0: Knowing what I know now, I would have just bought Bitcoin. But <laughs> quite, quite apart from that, um, you know, people ask me, do you regret not having done or having spent six years in med school? Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, I really don't because one, during university, I was totally cruising. Like I was very good at passing exams. I was very good at doing the bare minimum to get through. And I was very good at passing exams. Like I was getting good grades. But I was like, I was playing World of Warcraft. I was, you know, working in a gym, I was playing rugby, I was drinking on weekends and in the week, and I was enjoying life, you know. So the fact that I also managed to get a medical degree out of that was pretty significant. And actually, now I have my coaching, which is hugely boosted, as you say, by the fact that I'm a, a medical doctor and also a supplement brand, which is literally Dr. Emil Nutrition, based on the fact that I'm a medical doctor. I you know i'm sure i would have been fine if i'd gone down a different road but also this has turned out exactly how it was supposed to according to the higher powers so i don't have any regrets honestly
1: yeah i think the fact that you're a doctor and like i think that's very interesting is that there are a lot of you know personal trainers or health coaches um or whatever you know word you want to use to describe that online but very rarely do they also have your background as a doctor and i think that's really interesting in the conversations that we've had I mean, I, so a little bit of background, I went to study biotechnology in college and I thought like that's what I wanted to do. Maybe I was thinking about like med school, perhaps. So like, I, I do still have that interest, even though I did two years and I was like, fuck that. But still like, I do have that interest. And so like, you know, when when you said that you are a doctor and like, I really love the fact that, um, and this is something that I've seen with really good doctors as well is they have an ability to, when you ask questions, they have an ability to not just tell you like, hey, I'm a doctor, listen to me, but they have an ability to like tra- like educate you on like, why is this the right thing? Like, you know, what are you actually? So I think that that's, uh, that's really important. But, you know, aside from, I, I would love to dive into Bitcoin here because I'm just kind of, I'm very fresh to it. Uh, so that was a very kind of alluring, you know, thing that you dropped there. I, I really want to know what you know. Um but I do have to ask, so the world is going into a more remote direction, right? Especially now with COVID, I think, you know, what I thought was going to happen in the next five to 10 years, I think has been accelerated. And I think we're going to see it much quicker. Based on your background as a medical doctor in the UK, and also what you do now kind of remotely, where do you see medicine going in, 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 as we move into an increasingly remote world?
0: So, yeah, I think as you say, trends which would have taken five or 10 years to happen, have been accelerated. So telemedicine, um, video online consultations, which have been, because medicine is such a traditional area, they've been kind of like, no, no, you, you couldn't possibly do it over video. You have to, you know, feel patients and be in the room and all this kind of stuff. But I think that's going to happen and that's going to accelerate which is awesome because, you know, the healthcare system in the UK is struggling and this kind of thing will hopefully ideally help. But actually, I think the other big thing is AI. And at some point, the medical profession is going to get severely disrupted by it. Um, It's already starting with things like IBM's Watson, but there's, there's some areas within medicine like radiology, and to a maybe a degree, anesthetics, which is what I trained in, that AI can potentially do better even now. Mm-hmm. And this is going to rapidly happen. The thing that's protecting it at the moment is tradition, tradition and people's fear of robots. Right. So it might take more time than other areas and other professions. But I mean, for me, logically, I'm geeky. I love looking at you know, AI and all that kind of stuff. It, it seems inevitable. So I think that's going to be the biggest disruption. I mean, yeah, telemedicine is great. That will help, but AI is going to, I mean, AI is going to change the world. So we, we kind of know that.
1: Yeah, I was um, I was reading something recently about, and I think it was specifically radiology, that it's something like, something that would take a doctor, like, you know, several like days to like figure out AI can almost figure out in a few minutes. And uh, I mean, that's both, incredible but also kind of scary in a way because I do think that people still have that like that fear of robots what do you think is going to take like what do you think is going to be that like that hinge like where do you think that trigger is going to happen where people kind of like stop fearing it and really adopt it more into uh, in in the medical field
0: um money when mm-hmm. it becomes infinitely cheaper to see an ai then it becomes to see a doctor um especially with the kind of you know privatization of potentially healthcare in the uk and you know the burgeoning health costs and everything else like the current system can't keep going so at some points some infinitely cheaper and equally as effective or even slightly less effective alternative will come out and that will drive people to it um and then once that's kind of established a foothold i mean it's inevitable because by definition it will get Better than doctors at doing certain things. And the one thing, the one big argument is that doctors provide a human touch. They provide Mm -hmm. the empathy. They provide all of this. But you can train someone in empathy, human touch, and all of that. And you don't have to pay them however much a doctor gets paid. You don't have to train them for six years. You just need to train them how to be empathetic. And some people have that already. And then have the AI do the the work, spit out an answer, and then this human puppet Mm -hmm. does the empathy piece. And I mean, I, I'm speculating. It's interesting. I, I don't know, but that's the way I'm seeing it at the moment.
1: Yeah, it's. really <laughs> I think it's really funny because when I think about like, what would be the version of like AI medicine that exists now? <laughs> and the first thing that came to mind is like, and this probably doesn't happen to you because you know, you're a trained doctor, but I will have something and I'll Google it and I'll go on WebMD. And I leave WebMD and I yeah. have 10 terminal diseases that I've self-prescribed myself. You know? So it, it will be very interesting to kind of see how long it takes for, you know, AI to learn and to kind of like get my stupidness out of it. And no, Miko, you don't have leprosy and, or, or yeah. you know, whatever.
0: Um, you know, that's, that's interesting, actually, because the problem with medicine is it's a game of chance. Like there is a chance you have these ridiculously rare things. It's a small chance, but you can't rule this stuff out. So I don't know how AI will be able to do that because doctors effectively take risks. When you go and see a GP, he says, it's probably not lung cancer. It's probably a cold, which is a very Mm -hmm. fair diagnosis. Sometimes it is lung cancer. But it's kind of accepted that there's a margin of error. I, I don't know how AI will figure that out or how that will work. Or if, you know, the first time an AI messes up, whether that's, they try and scrap it or put it back 10 years, I don't know. But that is very interesting because, you know, medicine is a gamble. And people don't like to admit that or think that. But doctors are guessing, especially in ER and GP, where it's frontline stuff where you have to make decisions quickly. You haven't got necessarily all the time in the world and all the, all the resources in the world. And you're just like... I'm going to make a call. And this is what it's most likely is.
1: Yeah. I think actually that's, I've never thought about that, that there is going to come a time when AI does take over medicine and it makes the first mistake. Right. And like, how do we react to it? Cause there's also going to, that's also going to happen with like self-driving cars, right? Those are going to happen. And eventually one of those will make an accident. It will, you know, make a mistake and hit a pedestrian or, you know, it's gonna decide to save the driver instead of, you know, like like dodge traffic and hit a pedestrian or whatever. And this is where like I think it's gonna be very interesting to see logical people who are like, well, you know, it's gonna make mistakes, it's gonna learn, it's gonna get better, and then people who are gonna yeah. be like, no, it's the end of the world, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um On the topic of, you know, you mentioned telemedicine, which I'm very interested in, obviously as somebody who travels all the time and I don't have a regular relationship with a doctor. But the other thing that I'm interested in, um, and I wanna hear your opinion on is medical tourism, right? So for people like us that travel around all the time and we wanna, you know, use what's at our resources. So, you know, when you're in Thailand, you know, Thai hospitals and that kind of stuff, is that something that you think is going to grow? Like, what do you think about that trend?
0: Um, I mean, I don't know what, how COVID will affect it now, but I I can't see why not. And certainly the image of, you know, Thai hospitals, for example, being horrible, dirty places is not the case. I mean, you know, if anyone's ever been in one, they're literally the most incredible places in the world. They look like, you know, research labs from movies. Um, So I I think it's, it's logical that it's going to become a bigger thing. Um. I mean, it's, it's cheap. It's really, it's a nice experience and as travel and stuff gets easier and cheaper, as I said, COVID aside, then I think, um, I think it makes sense for sure.
1: Yeah. I've, um, you know, this is one of those ideas that I've tossed around with like friends talking about this, but I would love to see like a service where just like just like a personal trainer or something that you can hire a doctor and they can you know they know all you know the best places around the world where you can get certain things and like i can have a relationship with them and they can all almost be like oh hey you're passing through bangkok go get your blood work and then like we can follow it like i would love to see that service Uh, i mean i'll be the first user if it ever comes out Um, but
0: watch this space watch this space
1: Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. it's totally something that I've been like tossing around because like, I want to, you know, we've talked about this offline or not on the podcast, but like I've recently been wanting to get more like refocus on my health. Like, you know, I am 27. I'm at that point where my, my youth won't just, you know, that won't cut it anymore. Just being young won't. And I want to go get my blood work. I want to get all of these things so that I know where I'm at but I look at what it's gonna cost me to do it at a hospital here in the US. And I'm like, absolutely not. Like that's, that's ridiculous. And I think that's a scary thing for most people, even myself where I've traveled, like it's still scary to be in that unknown hospital. Like I was in Mexico and even if a friend's telling me, no, the hospitals are great. I'm like, I, but are they? But if you have a doctor who's like, I've been there, I know go to this hospital, you know, I think it will be great. Um, you did mention COVID. Uh, I feel like we need to touch on this. There's a lot of stuff flying around about COVID. Um, You've been very helpful. Um, When it first came out, I remember you did a post in the Dynamite Circle as a medical doctor, kind of like looking at all the evidence. What are the things that people at home can do to almost like protect themselves? Not just like, you know, wearing a mask to like, you know, protect everyone around them. But like, how can you, boost your immune system? How, like, what are some of the things that you personally are doing, for example, in order to, you know, protect yourself and prepare yourself?
0: Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, the biggest thing, and this is why I left medicine is that no one focuses on lifestyle and actually like having a poor night's sleep has a detrimental effect on your immune system the next day. Um, you know, being overweight has been shown to be a risk factor for COVID, all these um high blood pressure, diabetes, all these things. So this might not be a quick fix. I mean, certainly getting sleepers, but sort out your lifestyle. It will, it's an investment, it will pay dividends for the rest of your life, which will be longer as well. So like just do that. Just start. You don't have to do anything crazy. You don't have to just just start. Like eat some more vegetables, go to bed a bit earlier. Don't say I'm gonna start on Monday. Just start. Don't care what you do. Um And then with all that aside, I mean, the things I've been doing, I, I wear a mask, you know, one out of respect of the businesses who, which I enter. Like if a shop says wear a mask, like I'm right. going to wear a mask because they're a private business and they're asking me to do something to enter them. Let's just do it. Um, and then I've been using uh, alcohol gel and washing my hands as soon as I get home. And actually, I think that is without sounding like, you know, boring, but honestly that's the, that's one of the biggest things because actually you know the virus lives on door handles and wherever else and your it lasts days there so you touch it you scratch your face your mouth that's how you're going to get it wash your hands just regularly just do it have some in your pocket have some at home and that I honestly think is the biggest thing like a lot of people are saying they're scared to go back to the gym and for me as soon as it opened I was straight back in super mm. cautious with hand washing because obviously I expect it to be everywhere but that is my biggest in my head the biggest way that it's going to get into you yeah there's some evidence of it like floating in the air and stuff and a mask won't necessarily protect you about that well from that but generally speaking if the air is circulating and stuff and you're healthy then the chances are lower so and as i said earlier medicine is a game of chance all this covid stuff is a game of chance like you could do everything and get it and you could do nothing and not get it. You could, you know, lick door handles and not get it. And most of my colleagues in A&E, in ER, have all the PPE, everything, constantly. And half of them have got it. Because, right. you know, that's just how it is. Um, so so those are kind of my my things. The other thing I did when we were traveling and stuff was I just mega-dosed on vitamin C and zinc. Um, it, it's it's There's, there's Why some zinc? evidence... It's just these, so vitamin C and zinc are the two kind of uh supplements that there is some evidence that they'll help with immune function potentially. And I'm not going to say they cure COVID like some people are claiming. I'm not going to say that there's any even specific evidence for it, but there is evidence for other immune areas that they shorten the duration of colds and things like that. So for me, they're safe, they're cheap. There's no harm in it. Um, so I, I was doing that whenever I was traveling, um, cause we had to travel back from Malaysia and, you know, if I, if I started to feel a bit sniffly or I'd been around people who were sneezing or coughing, I would just take the dose for three or four days, um, just to kind of cover me, whatever that means.
1: Yeah. I think it's interesting that you said that you've, that you're back at the gym. Cause I just had this conversation with Sarah, my fiance. And, uh, cause I was thinking about going back to the gym and now obviously like all these cases are spiking in Ohio and where I am. And I'm just like. I think I need, you know, I don't know if that's a good idea. Um, so what you're saying is that like, do you wearing a, do you wear a mask when you're at the gym or no?
0: So we we have to wear one as we walk into the gym and Uh then once we're, we're in the gym, we can take it off. And Mm -hmm. I've seen different rules in different gyms. You can take it off at the machine, but walking between machines, you have to put it on and all these different things. So I don't wear a mask in the gym because Mm -hmm. that's what the gym, that's the rules for the gym. Um, But if there's fans, if there's air conditioning, if there's air movement, then short of someone coughing and sneezing in your face, there's not, the the air thing doesn't seem like a big risk for me. Now, I'm not a virologist, I'm not an epidemiologist, I'm just, yes, I have medical training, yes, I've worked as a doctor, and I'm applying a hefty dose of common sense. Right. And that is my take on it. Um, As I said, washing my hands, I'm super vigilant with that in the gym. Like between sets, as soon as I leave, I'm all over Mm -hmm. it. As soon as I get back home, I'm all over it. Try and get in the shower straight away. I'm all over that. But like, other than that, like for my mental health, being in the gym is infinitely like more beneficial than this remote risk. And it is still a remote risk of catching Mm -hmm. COVID and then even then uh, dying of it. Right.
1: Right. Um, I know that you don't have, that you're not an epidemiologist. Um, and you know, like you said, you're using just like a ton of common sense, but I think your common sense is a lot better than like people who aren't medically trained. Like, do you think we're going to have some sort of, um, uh, vaccine soon? Like, just kind of like, what is your expectation of like the next like year, for example? And, and, and totally, this is just like best guess, you know, I'm just, I'm just yeah, curious. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. This is the kind of disclaimer. This is not medical yeah. advice.
1: No, don't worry. Uh, I'm just going to take just this clip and I'm going to say, yeah. don't worry, Emil said this. So,
0: <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so I've got clients all over the world and I'm seeing second waves mm-hmm. in multiple places. So I fully expect a second worldwide wave. It'll be staggered, but it, it seems like it's happening. And I don't know whether that will, ha- whether that will cause lockdowns or not different countries will respond differently. Um, I mean, parts of Lisbon have been locked down again, so they're going for some partial lockdown kind Mm. of thing. As tracking improves, that might change how uh, countries react. As testing improves, um, that might change how countries react. And also this kind of herd immunity thing, that might change how countries react. Now, we're seeing cases of people getting it twice. I don't know if that's the norm or the rule. I mean, if that becomes if that becomes the norm, that people can get it more than once, then I mean, right. you're screwed. But I, my gut feeling there is that there will be a spectrum of immunity. It's not like you can just get it as many times as you catch it. It'll be kind of a um, you, you become more immune over time. This is my gut feeling, mm-hmm. or, or something like that. We we don't know yet. And in terms of a vaccine, I mean. It's so hard to tell with stuff like this because there's so much money involved. Mm-hmm. But I, I really don't want to, because I, I try not to read this stuff as much as possible because most of it is bullshit. Um, but you know, I, I see things saying, you know, we've never had a vaccine against the coronavirus in the past. Um, but then all these companies are saying there's a vaccine coming out, but also they've got an incentive to do that because of the huge amount of money that releasing a vaccine would would create, whether it works or not. So. It's kind of like, I, I really don't know. So there's,
1: so there's never been a vaccine for a coronavirus before?
0: So that's, I mean, as I said, I'm not an epidemiologist. Yeah, I didn't yeah. study this, but the, the coronavirus is the cold, right? That's mm-hmm. the, the kind of the, the common thing. And we've never developed a vaccine for it. And admittedly, from a medical point of view, a vaccine for a cold, it's not a very dangerous disease. There's no point. But that said, if they commercially release the vaccine for a cold, I would get it because I right. don't like colds. So I, it kind of makes sense that if there was possibility of doing that, they would do it. And, and the issue is that the, the, the common cold or coronavirus there mutates a lot. Right. So, so every year constantly... you'd
1: need to get a new one, for example, the, the way with the, the with the flu.
0: That's my understanding. Yeah. And mm-hmm. whether that's going to be a similar thing for for COVID-19, I don't know. So mm-hmm. this is where I, you know, I'm speculating. Yeah. I, I don't want to speculate. Like for me, I'm, kind of doing what I can. So I'm looking after my health. I'm living my life as normally as possible and mask and hands and what happens, happens like, yeah, you know, there's like this stoic saying, which is kind of like, you know, there's the thing in the world which can hurt you. And then there's how much you can hurt yourself by kind of stressing about it and fighting about it constantly. So mm-hmm. there's a thing in the world. It's there regardless. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to stress about it. I'm just going to live, do the sensible precautions it's a game of chance anyway. And let's play, you know?
1: Right. Well, let's, um, let's shift a little bit because I do want to talk a little bit about like fitness and specifically around travel because I know that's something I've struggled with. You know, traveling and working out and staying in shape. Uh, I mean, you've gone, you became a bodybuilder. So you were, you know, you were overweight and then you became a bodybuilder uh, that's a pretty big shift. So you obviously know a lot about exercising and gaining muscle and all that kind of stuff. You know, what are, what would be your tips for anyone who's kind of trying to, uh, both travel, you know, travel and also still like, you know, have gains, so to say at the gym, is that possible?
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, I've, I've managed it, you know, um, mm-hmm. I mean, so first off, just for health, you need, it doesn't matter about the gym. You just need to do some sort of physical activity, some sort of movement. And in that regard, it becomes easy. But what happens is when people are in one place, they're like, they have their routine running or whatever it is. And then they move to a new place like Thailand and they're like, no, it's too hot to run. And then they give up. Yeah. Whereas actually the way to think about it is, okay, for my absolute minimum, I need to do three bouts of 20 minute exercise every week, whatever that is for you. It could be one, but call it three. So in Ohio, it's running in Thailand. It might be one swimming, one yoga, and one gym session in Bali. It might be three home workouts at 6am when it's still cool. So Mm -hmm. it's almost like, and in, you know, Malaysia, it might just be walking and that's also fine. So it's kind of, you know, regressing to this absolute baseline, this minimum viable, uh, dose of health that you sustain wherever you are. And then from there, I don't know if you saw my my free mastermind, but there's the the slider kind of, you can slide the optimization up. You can start increasing your protein, developing a proper workout, progressive overload and everything else. But then as soon as shit hits the fan, because it does, you just go back to your absolute baseline. And then from a practical point of view, like when I land in a place like Chiang Mai, Thailand, for example, I locate a gym in advance. The day I land, I sign up for it to reduce the friction as much as possible. I order protein powder from lazada so it arrives when i'm there you know i just make this i I just make it as easy as possible and then you know i have a program already in whether i've written it myself whether i've just asked you know hired someone to write it for me just again to reduce the friction and then i just kind of i try and again i have this bare, bare minimum it might be five times a week when i'm in the uk but i'm just like okay i'm going to go at least three times in thailand because i know it's going to be busy but i just try and reduce the friction as much as possible pay you know if there's a gym two minutes away which costs twice as much as a gym 20 minutes away i'm just going to pay for the gym two minutes away because you know this is one of my key values this is one of my priorities so it's worth it's worth the money i'm much more likely to train um so it's a case of prioritizing it and then just just planning for it um and i mean make the environment as conducive as possible to the outcome you want to you know, you want to, uh, achieve.
1: I think that's a really interesting concept of like having this baseline that isn't zero, because I think that happens to a lot of people is they like, yeah, yeah. you know, maybe when they're at home, they're exercising and you know, they're, they're being healthy. And then the moment that like things switch and they go abroad that, you know, they go down to like, you know, just sitting on the couch and, and they don't have that baseline. And, and yeah, maybe something easy, like running that you can do everywhere, uh, is, is a great baseline um you know i was you know i i got a trx i'm trying to add that into my baseline even if it's just i actually use it for like i don't like to run in the mo- like i'm trying to figure out my sort of routine i'm not a i like exercising in the morning but not too much cuz mornings are also like my highest energy time when i yeah, like yeah. like to you know work the most so i'm trying to do like a little bit of trx in the morning and then leave like you know just to get you know kind of like the blood pumping and then you know, leave like the heavier workouts. You know, like a long run or something like that for the afternoon. And and the TRX has been phenomenal for traveling with. Um, I thought that would be a bigger pain in the ass, and it's not. Like you just throw it in the bag, and it's it's super easy. So um, I've been a huge fan of that. Do you have any tips for? It? Because I know the thing that kills me when I go to a new place. Is that any sort of diet that I was trying to stick to is just out the window, you know, like when, when they got some delicious foods like laying around. So when I'm in Eastern Europe, like those pastries, man, like, you know, everybody talks about the French pastries, but you go to like, you know, a country like Bulgaria, I'm sure Serbia as well, like bread everywhere. And it's all so good. What do you, uh, you know, what are some of your tips about that around like sticking to a diet, even when you are moving around, there's delicious things everywhere.
0: Yeah. So again, theoretically, the concept I adopt is this kind of, I call it the physiological blueprint and it's your absolute minimum effective dose for maintenance slash progress. So for most people, that's just adhering to a calorie value as an average over the week. So say your maintenance is 2000 calories a day, you stick to 2000 calories. So 14,000 calories a week, Mm -hmm. which In itself gives you crazy flexibility because on travel day you can fast and eat zero calories, which means on Saturday you can have 4,000 calories and still hit your weekly average. So, what I tend to do then is I have that in my head and I skip meals which I don't care about. So, when I'm traveling, very rarely do I want to eat breakfast. Lunch, I'm usually working or about to train. So, I keep it super lean, like chicken and salad or just another shake. I literally bare minimum and then in the evening inevitably i'm going to eat out inevitably there's going to be a social occasion or i'm going to want some beer or something and then if i kind of minimize the day and maximize the evening i've got like you know even on a 2000 calorie diet i've got i don't know 16, 1700 calories for the evening and then as long as i'm optimizing my food choices for enjoyment i can enjoy anything i want and still enjoy life um, and still, so I eat what I want and still uh, stay sh- uh, healthy and in shape. Because I mean, the problem with the problem with people, the problem that people have is when they're on plan, they're on plan. Mm. And then when they're traveling, they're like, fuck it, doesn't matter. Right, right, right. And actually, that causes people to eat shit that they don't even care about. So, like smashing a box of Oreos in the apartment, no one wants to eat a whole box of mm. Oreos. You eat it because it's there, you eat it because you're free, you're off plan, whatever. No one cares. Like, you eat the first one and it tastes amazing. The other 30, you don't even taste, right? right? So, you know, get rid of that kind of stuff. When you eat out in the evening, pick exactly what you want. Eat just that. Like, if there's shitty bread on the table, don't eat it. If it's amazing bread, eat it. If there's a massive thing of fries, I mean, yeah, the first few are taste amazing. The rest of them you're eating out of habit. So it's kind of starting to make choices to maximize enjoyment and to get rid of shit that you don't need. And what I usually find with my clients is they get to eat what they want, and still make progress or at the very least sustain uh, where they're at just by making these, just by making these choices.
1: Yeah. I think a lot of people have that habit that was like instilled in them from their parents of like, finish everything on your plate, whether you're full or not, like finish it. You know, the, they're starving kids in Africa thing, which yeah, I always, yeah. I was always like, okay, like, what is the, how is this, how does this help them? Yeah. You know, this, <laughs> there's not going over there. Like, you know, what is the, yeah, so, yeah. And I think that that's been like super unhealthy. And then like the other thing is like, I don't, I don't, I don't know if they do this in the UK or not, but like serving milk with lunch here in American schools. Like when I found out just how like fattening that is, like, you know, not only is milk super fattening, but also like to eat it with lunch. So I think that there's all of these things that have been like almost made a habit for us. And now there's all of these adults that grew up with this terrible, you know, eating, you know ideologies. Um, And so I I think people really struggle with that. And like, that's super, it's super easy in concept to say, Hey, these first five fries were really good, but I'm not going to eat the rest because I don't want them. Like, I feel like that's so difficult, but when you do figure it out, it can be really uh, advantageous.
0: Honestly, it's a skill like any other. And here's a great example. So for most of my life, I ordered a whole pizza in a restaurant, ate the whole thing, felt a little bit sick at the end. And then I was like, okay, I know that a whole pizza makes me feel a bit sick. So I'm going to eat less than a whole pizza. So then I eat half a pizza and I say, this is perfect. And then I have another slice. And then I start talking and eat another slice and I finish finish the pizza and I feel a bit sick. And it took me years to work this out. And then I suddenly started saying, why don't we order a pizza, me and my girlfriend, and share it? So now we share a pizza, the perfect amount. We don't feel like Mm -hmm. we're not getting enough. We don't feel like we're depriving ourselves. It's literally beyond perfect and we end up perfectly full at the end. Like game changing. So it's almost getting into the, it's a skill to learn. You need to nail it, but you only need to nail it once. The other one, I always used to order large of everything because I'm a big guy. I need large. It took me a while, but then I figured out I could order medium and be absolutely fine. And again, it took me years to figure this out and actually implement it. And then once I did, my life became infinitely easier. So yeah, I mean, with the fries just every time you do it, I have this like process. I say, look, just experience what you're going to do, the fries. Observe. Observe yourself. You're like, I should stop now. I should stop now. I should stop now. I should stop now. And then don't judge yourself. Just see what you can learn from it and say, okay, this is interesting. I kept eating the fries, even though I knew that this was pointless and I couldn't taste them and they tasted like shit. Next time, I'm going to try something else. I'm going to try something else. And then next time, try something else. Again, you'll fuck up don't judge yourself, just see what happens. And then over time, it might take 10, it might take a hundred times. You only need to nail it once. Once you've nailed it, you're eating the optimal number of fries for your enjoyment and saving like 800 calories.
1: So yeah, best of I, both worlds. You know, I, I think that there's something around becoming more conscious with what you eat yeah. because like I love pizza. Uh, like yeah. that's like my, at first I, I was really embarrassed to say that my favorite food is pizza. Cause it's almost kind of like simple, like, you know, come on, I like be better, but I don't know. I love pizza, man. And so I've been watching, I don't know if you've ever seen this online. There's um, the founder of Barstool, which is not something that I, that I watch or read or anything like that, but he does these hilarious pizza reviews all over the U S and I'm trying to be healthy, but there's this amazing pizza place just down the street from us. And so I've been watching this guy's pizza reviews all fucking week and i'm like i really want a pizza like I'm in this really good pizza place right there so my fiance was like we have these like zero carb like wraps and she's like well why don't you you know just put some sauce on that and some cheese and some pepperoni and just like you know make it here and i'm like that's gonna suck like yeah. i would much rather you know like be really healthy for like these three days and then go and enjoy the really good slice of pizza because that low carb wrap pizza is going to taste like shit. And I'm still going to want that
0: pizza. Yeah. 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 I've got this concept of fuel and feast meals. So Hmm. most of the meals in the day and the week, you don't give a shit about you're eating them because you need to eat, you need fuel, protein, whatever it is. So for these meals, they're tasty, but they're quick. I don't really care about them. And I keep them super lean because I don't care about them. So these are my chicken salads and my protein shakes. And then I have feast meals where I do care about the food. And when I care about the food, I'm going to make sure it's the best. I'm, you know, if I'm going to eat a pizza, I'm going to get a really good pizza. And then the key then is to, yes, be mindful about it. And again, stop when you stop enjoying it, because actually overeating is scarcity mindset. What you're telling yourself is I'm never going to have this pizza again. So I need to eat as much of it now because I might starve for the winter or something. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, you really, it's like the same as a buffet. You're at a buffet, you eat as much as you can till you feel sick because, you know. You want to get every
1: dollar's tea. worth, yeah.
0: Exactly. It's total, total bullshit for, you know, us as entrepreneurs, it's something that you need to get rid of. Absolute crap. And, you know, going back to what you were saying before, as soon as you order some food, it's wasted. So it's wasted whether you eat half of it and throw it away or whether you eat all of it and then have to burn it off your ass. So it's wasted. So get into the habit of leaving what you don't want. And it's, it's, that's a crazy skill because you've been given this arbitrary portion, which is probably too big. So why are you eating the whole thing? Just because someone else has said you need to eat this whole thing. Isn't it funny how 10 people at the table, all different shapes and sizes, genders, whatever else are all eating the exact same size meal. So slow down, be mindful, optimize the enjoyment. And when you're full, literally the second you're full, get rid of it because you'll keep eating out of habit. And, boredom. Put a napkin on it, call the wait uh, waiter, waitress, ask them to take it away, get rid of it. Mm. it. Makes your life so much easier.
1: You mentioned entrepreneurs. And I think that uh, I'd love to get your opinion on this because, you know, we're both entrepreneurs. A lot of people who are listening are entrepreneurs. And in a way, I think of entrepreneurs a little bit like athletes, you know, like they're always trying to think about like, how am I my optimal position, you know, like shape and like energy level so that I can perform well and I know that you work with a lot of entrepreneurs. So what are some of the things that people who do own their own businesses, who do want to be almost in like peak performance for their business to create, to do all of that kind of stuff? What are some of the things that, you know, people should be doing in order to be able to really be in it, you know, to really have the best performance possible?
0: So the biggest thing with entrepreneurs like athletes is it's all or nothing. They're either doing everything perfectly or they're not doing anything at all. And that's the problem with this kind of, you know, this huge back and forth, you know, people try keto and it works for four weeks and then something breaks because they travel or business stress or whatever else. And they go back to doing zero. And there's no in between. And actually the best thing entrepreneurs can do is just start again, start to build this baseline, figure out what's the absolute minimum I can do to start being healthy. What's the minimum exercise? It could be 10 push-ups every morning. I work through this with every single client. It's like, right, what's the minimum that you could promise me, even if your business exploded next week and you had to work 70 hours, what exercise could you promise me? How many steps could you promise me? Now let's do that. Let's start from there and build up from there. Um and same with same with food. Like food doesn't have to be black and white, good and bad. It's all a spectrum. It's all good. So let's start from the absolute minimum. And that might mean have two beers instead of three. It might mean have some vegetables with your meals, try and have some protein with your meals. I'm not saying eat less. I'm just saying try and focus on protein and veg instead of just a pile of bread. Um, like this is, again, this is exactly what I do. I say, right, I want to see a week of what your normal life is. And then I want to make one, two, or three of the smallest changes possible that are going to start seeing progress. And people are like, well, this doesn't feel like I'm doing anything. And I'm like, perfect, because you can stick to this forever. And, those little changes, you probably don't even care that they're not there anymore. And that's the key. Like they they've, We've worked together to figure out these little things which they don't give a shit about and is actually causing them to drop a pound or two in a week. And they, they're like, I can do this forever. And I'm like, yeah, if you do it for another week, you'll drop another one or two pounds and then another one or two pounds and you didn't have to cut out carbs. Um, so little changes, lay it on consistently in both exercise and, and nutrition is the fundamental and, and ideally focus on the biggest levers like don't worry about if you're eating after 8 p.m like that's not causing you to to be overweight you're just eating too much so you know eating after 8 p.m if that's the only time of day you can eat that's fine just let's reduce the calories a little bit you know just stick to the the, mm-hmm. the, the big wins the 80 20 you know we love eighty twenty as entrepreneurs what
1: do you, um? I mean, and it's very funny that you said that entrepreneurs as personalities either go all in and they like nerd out or they don't do anything. And so I, I am curious because with health, there's just almost there's so much like is keto good or is it bad uh, or is like, you know, like don't eat any fats. But then like the other person is saying like oh, fats are great, eat more fats. So there's there's all of this conflicting information. Uh, And as entrepreneurs, we love to measure things. And there's also all of these other things that you should be watching, you know, your weight, your HRV, your VO, like there's all of these things. If there's a few things that somebody should almost watch to make sure that they're healthy, because this is one of the things, like I have all these apps and they're giving me things. I'm like, I don't know what the hell this means. Like, like, so what are some of the things that people can actually like look at? as like analytics, right? Like if you're going to be looking at your business's analytics, is there anything that maybe two or three things that somebody can kind of like measure and kind of say like, I'm healthy or I'm not healthy and I need to change something?
0: Yeah. So that, that's very, very interesting. Um, and actually my biggest job as a coach is to get rid of a lot of information rather than giving mm-hmm. more it's actually removing it we know what is healthy you know we know Mm -hmm. eating too much is bad we know vegetables are good generally speaking so actually my job is to say right all of this is bullshit let's just focus on these things and then actually that gives people the confidence to not worry about 90 percent of the crap um and i literally i have a spreadsheet and i start from like the left and these are the most important things and if you're only going to track three things track these and then after that we can go crazy we can you know go geek out forever. I mean, I've got my aura ring. I love that kind of stuff. I saw that, yeah. But, you know, if you're not nailing these basics, there's literally no point in anything else. It's like in a business. If you're not, you know, if you've not got any cash flow or any profit, then there's no point in worrying about which email provider you're going to use. Like it's it's moot, right. right? And this is what deciding whether to do keto or vegan is if you're not nailing the basics. It's exactly that. So, I mean, literally, if, if you know, someone is overweight, a daily weight with an average over the week, a daily calorie intake with an average over the week. Um, and then I, I get people to track protein and I don't often set a goal for protein. I just say, try and eat some for every meal. And by tracking it, you'll automatically start to increase it. Um, and then on top of that, just try and eat some vegetables for each meal. Um, and those are kind of the baseline. And then from there you can track, you know, sleep, HRV, uh, fatigue, um, uh, hunger, happiness, a million and one things, uh, carbs, fats, whatever else. But if you just track those three daily weight average over the week, daily calories, average over the week and, um, protein, then you're 90% of the way there. If you want to track daily steps and average it as well, great. Um, and actually it's just to go there with one of the biggest mistakes or, things that confuse people is tracking exercise calories my recommendation don't it's horribly inaccurate it builds a horrible mindset around exercise that it's for burning calories Um, and when i track exercise with with clients i just say 60 minute weights workout 20 minute run 25 minute swim that's all i want to know i don't i really don't want to know your calories and i don't want you to document it and i certainly don't want you to take it off your calorie total for the day. You know, mm-hmm. that's, that's all bullshit. Basically it's just really, it takes you down the wrong path.
1: That's interesting because I'll go on these like runs. And if I like, you know, I've, I've been trying to like up my running and if I don't hit like a certain amount of like calories, burn them like shit that I, I, I almost like, didn't complete the workout for today. Cause like that, that was my goal. Uh, so I can see that that being an unhealthy mindset. Um, you mentioned sleep and it's something that I struggle with. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with as well. So I, I think we should, you know, kind of chat about it a little bit because you get excited, you're working on something you you know, it's either like on your brain and like, you can't go to sleep or whatever. Like what are some of the tips that you have for, you know, kind of increasing, like having better sleep, you know, that kind of thing.
0: So the first step is realizing that sleep is not a hindrance. It's essential. And the best way I found of relaying that is by watching the Matthew Walker and Joe Rogan podcast or, or YouTube thing, just Google them. It's a two hour thing. And basically after that, you will realize that you need to go to sleep and you need to sleep enough. And literally I was doing night shifts almost exclusively because it meant I could work in the day. Um, mm-hmm. I was on my business and I watched that podcast. And I think within six weeks I was I'd canceled all my night shifts and was just doing day shifts again, which I hated, but I just couldn't, you know, it, it didn't fit with my my vision of myself. Um, so the first step is to realize it's important. Once it's important, the, the next biggest thing is just to be in bed long enough to sleep. Like people are like, oh, what, what's a sleep hack? What can I do? You know, do I need to get rid of EMFs or do I want blah, blah, blah. But they're going to bed at 3 three a.m. Right, and It's like, right, step one, go to bed at 11 p.m. And if you're in bed for eight hours, there's a chance you'll be asleep for seven and a half of them, Mm -hmm. you know? So that's literally the first step. And to be honest, you know, I can talk forever about sleep. There's a million and one tips and things, but just being in bed long enough will fix a lot of the problems that people have. Um, And then what I find with health as well is you're either spiraling upwards or spiraling downwards. As things Mm -hmm. start to go together, you're improving. If things aren't improving, they're getting worse. That's just the fact. You can't stay steady or maintain. So if you start you know looking after your diet, exercising, um, that will help with sleep. and then by sleeping more, that will help with motivation for exercise and you know willpower around diet and all that. and they kind of start bouncing off each other and your sleep will improve. Not after a day, but after a week or two, it'll get better. And then as you get into routine and rhythm, everything will start to get better. And just nailing those three things in the most basic sense, will honestly make you superhuman compared to the rest of the world. And people are like, how can I get the edge? Honestly, eat well, exercise regularly and sleep, and you will be a superhuman compared to the rest of the world. Mm. Because no one does it. Literally no one does it.
1: Yeah, I think it's one of those things that everybody knows they should be doing uh, and they want to do. But it. I think it almost like takes time for that superhuman-ness, that feeling to like, yeah, yeah, yeah. to like, the same thing as business, right? Is like, it takes a certain amount of time for you to just be like, head down working with no benefits until then, like you do see the benefit, right? And most people don't make it over that hump, uh, which is, you know, it, it, it maybe you fall off the wagon a couple of times until you learn to like, you know, make it over that hump. Um, but Emil, I want to say thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. I can also talk about this all day. So I, I want to be respectful of your time. I know you're, uh, you're in Lisbon. It's Friday. You would probably want to go out. Um, but you know, before we jump off, um, what are you working on right now? You know, you mentioned you do coaching, um, you know, if people listen to this interview and they're like, I need some help with my health, um, you know, my fitness, where can they find you? And, uh, you know, what kind of, uh, what kind of services do you offer?
0: Yeah. So best bet is to find me on Facebook, Emil Goliath. Uh, I think there's only one you, you'll recognize me in the photo. Uh, and then I've recently launched, uh, an academy which is kind of my, the evolution of my coaching. And it's basically healthevolved.academy. And, you know, you can check it out. There's a, there's a landing page. And as I said, if you have questions, hit me up on Facebook, to be honest, drop me a message. Um, I'm on there most of the, uh, most days. So that's probably the best bet.
1: Yeah, I will, uh, you know, you, you're you going to be able to find all the uh, links in the show notes. Uh, and you also mentioned that you have supplements. Um, what What kind of supplements are those and where can people find those?
0: So yes, there, Dr. Emil Nutrition is the, mm. the kind of the supplement umbrella. And then there's kind of a more bodybuilding line called Goliath by Dr. Emil. To be perfectly honest, we've just had a huge kind of behind the scenes change up. So right at the moment, there's six products. Um, and over the next six to twelve months, it's gonna go crazy. So at the moment we're mainly on Amazon. If you search Dr. Emil Nutrition on Amazon you'll see some of our products and they're, they're totally crushing it. They're really, really good. Um, but you watch this space because literally over the next six or 12 months, uh, things are going to go crazy with those and we're going to be covering everything and expand.
1: Hmm. Awesome. Well, Emil, thank you so much for coming on. Congratulations on all of your success. Um, I love all the information you're putting out there. Um, I think it's, I, I think it's really important stuff to talk about. Uh, and I think that, you know, our personality sometimes forget it and and we shouldn't forget that so thank you so much for coming on again uh i really appreciate it
0: oh pleasure man i love talking about this stuff so yeah anytime
1: (laughs) all right brother well uh enjoy thank you